Are you ready? Now back to Heatwave Sports. It's a Super Sunday night. Our two Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas. If you want to join us tonight, 876-1340 over on the Heatwave Hotline on Twitter, at HW Sports, at Tom Barton Sports. Tommy, we're going to move to the NBA where the Phoenix Suns are one step closer to getting back to the NBA Finals. It's been a long time for Phoenix. 125-118, they knock off Denver in Denver tonight, Tom. 4 nothing sweep of the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, look, uh, I mean, to give full credit to the Suns, let's just realize that the Nuggets were they beat up And I'm not talking about the fact that, you know, Jokic was kicked out of the game. <laughs> and I, that's kind of just icing on the cake. But this was a team that we looked at and we said, yeah, without Murray, that was their misbeat. They didn't have much of a chance in the series. Devin Booker uh, is a superstar, but CP3 gets a lot of the credit here. And I see people kind of turning around. And I've been an anti-CP3 guy uh, for, for as long as his career has been because he shrinks during the playoffs, and he didn't in this series. But I wonder, Tim, is it enough? Is one series enough? Because all I see all over Twitter now is, well, CP3, he's done it. He should have been the MVP. He finally did it. What did he finally do? I mean, he, his team isn't even playing for a championship. I mean, look, if you complete this and you go win a ring, yeah, now all the CP3 hate and all the CP3 haters can say, yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, let's lay off of him a little bit. He had a great series against a beat-up, flawed team. I'm not giving him all that credit and all his past failures. Don't wash away because of this series, Tim. You know, win next round and then, you know, lose in the finals and maybe we could even have a conversation. But I, I think you got to win the finals to erase all that negativity. I'm, I know I haven't been, you know, a big Chris Paul guy. And I've pointed out his mistakes and his problems. And I'm not saying he got dealt good hands because he hasn't in his career. But one series against a beaten-out, undermanned Denver team, all of a sudden, just changes people's perspective? No, not for me. Isn't it really two series against beaten-up teams, though, Tom? Right? The Lakers' injury issues with Anthony Davis. LeBron didn't even bother showing up, so I don't even count that. But... Wouldn't it be two series against beat-up teams? Yeah, and, and that's my point. I mean, unless he goes that out there and dominates against, uh, you know, the, the Jazz, I guess, right, or, or the Clippers, and even if he does, I still think he's got to have a good finals as well. You know, look, if Chris Paul has a good finals but they lose the finals, all right, you know, some of my negativity will go away. But until he hoists that trophy... I think it's going to be hard. And look, basketball is not, um, you know, judged strictly on trophies like a quarterback is. I think quarterback goes first. But yes, basketball comes second because there's only five guys on the court. And basketball, we know, is a one man show. One man can change an entire team around. So Chris Paul, you get, he's getting a lot of recognition now. Tim, I think I'm stopping short here. I think it's way too early to say all of a sudden he's a playoff performer. Yeah. And in Denver's situation, you said it is, the Yoke ejection doesn't matter. They lose this series. They're not winning. Even if they won tonight, they wouldn't have won four in a row. So uh, Murray, that was the big death nail, really, right, Tom, in, in this whole thing was that missing him, Millsap also giving you key minutes off the bench. You know, they had a lot, a lot of problems there. Um, just it's kind of a shame if you're a Nuggets fan because coming into the season, right, Tom, they were looked at one of the top teams in the West, and they still – gritted through that, getting in as a three seed, but just nothing left in the tank. Tim, I don't change anything. If I'm Denver, I run it right back and I go, let's just stay healthy, guys, right? You'll get MVP. It's not like, oh, we're never going to get an MVP season out of him again. Uh, no, he's, he's been pretty consistent. I expect another good year from him. This is a team that I would run it back. I wouldn't do many major changes. You could tinker here and there. I think it was just a matter of staying healthy. And as good as the Blazers are, and as good as Utah was, I think if Denver stays healthy, I think they're moving on. 
game, what is it, for the game four, like Clippers-Utah tomorrow in L.A., Tom, the line is now firm five Clippers coming off that win in game three. Yeah, I, I, like, I like the points here at first glance. A lot depends on how Donovan Mitchell looks during shoot-arounds tomorrow, though, right? Um, like I said last night, and I'll, I'll reiterate for those that weren't listening, everything fell right for the Clippers, and I'm not talking about luck-wise, but everything clicked for the Clippers, and everything went against the Jazz. Donovan Mitchell was banged up, left late in that game, and then the game got out of hand. Maybe the Clippers would have won anyway, but that did happen, and look, that means something. You go, turn around and you look at both Leonard and Paul had, uh, Paul George had the best games that they could possibly have. They were both fantastic. Everything clicked for them. They were at home, backed against the wall, down 0-2. I mean, it was a perfect remedy for uh, being down 0-2. Everything clicked. Everything went okay. Everything here we go. Um, but when you turn around and you go, do I expect that to happen again? No. I think the Jazz are going to be much better defensively, especially watching them put up 130. Oh, man, I, I think defensively Jazz are going to be increasingly better tomorrow. And if I knew Mitchell was healthy, I would call for the outright win. You're giving me five points? I think that five points is because we don't know how Mitchell's going to be. If I think that he's healthy during warm-ups, Tim, I'll take him on the money line. Also game four in the East, Philly, Atlanta. Atlanta wins game one, Tom. Now they've dropped two straight. Game four, Philadelphia, three, about three on the road in Atlanta. Oh, I keep saying the stat, Tim, because it bears repeating. The first quarter was dominated. Quarter one, game one by Atlanta. Trey Young went crazy. Trey Young looked great, and Atlanta dominated quarter one. After that quarter in game one, Philadelphia won the rest of that game by 11 points. I'll tell you how, how because they lost it, tell you how much they were down in, in quarter one. They went out winning the rest of that game by 11 points, dominated the rest of that game, dominated game two, dominated game three. Tim, one quarter was all it was. And if you watch basketball and you watch it intently the way that, that most people do and analysts do and myself does. Uh, Harris was on him defensively in the first quarter for about 90% of all the plays. He was one-on-one with it. After that first quarter, they made adjustments, switched it up. He was on him about 40% of the time. And what happened? Well, they've now basically dominated the, the next three games. I don't see anything different here. Now, Harris being out, eh, that, that's a problem. But he wasn't crushing it on the offensive end of the floor here, right? And defensively, well, we know he's got his limitations, as it was shown in game one. He's a very good defensive player. Trey Young was just hot on it, uh, against him. So I didn't see anything from Atlanta other than, hey, Trey Young might go crazy tomorrow. He might, but he only went crazy in really in one quarter, and that was a defensive adjustment that they wound up making. You have to like Philly. The injuries worry me, but you've got to like Philly. And in the other matchup in the East, we're knotted up at two games. Tom has Milwaukee has won both games three and four on their home floor, 107-96 today. The Nets already without James Harden. They lose Kyrie Irving in this game. They lose the game as well. And all of a sudden, we have a different series. Man, last night I told you, I, I wanted to see something from Giannis. I wanted to see something from Milwaukee, something I didn't see even in their win. Uh, you saw it today. Um, there was a point early in the game. I don't know how much of the game you watched, though, Tim. There was a point early in the game where they were down by about eight or nine points and went on like a 17-2 to run. Giannis was absolutely fantastic. And we talked about what Giannis had to be. Giannis had to just say, you know what? I don't trust my shot because, man, it is ugly. I don't trust my shot. I just got to drive the, to the paint. And 26 points in the paint, that's exactly what he did. They have no answers for him underneath, none at all. And I know what's going to happen. We're going to sit back. We're going to talk about no Harden, no Irving. And, of course, that plays a role. But this is where I thought that this series would be. Before the series began, I told you, I thought the Bucks were going to knock him off. And then after watching them, I didn't have a lot of faith. 
I don't know if I'm still taking the bus to, to knock him off here, Tim. A lot does depend on the injuries. But I saw every single thing I needed to see with Giannis and this team. I watched it tonight. Everything that you wanted to see as a Bucks fan came out tonight. This is the team that you wanted. This is the aggressiveness that you wanted. This is Giannis saying, I don't care that I don't trust my shot. I have other parts of my game. And dominating in an area where only he can dominate. And, yes, that's what he did today. And this is another situation where Brooklyn, as we talked about, was built just just with those guys, right, Tom? You, you know, you're, after Irving goes out, Blake Griffin's your next leading scorer with eight points. What has he really provided for them this year since they signed him? Not much. There's no really... There's nowhere else to really go for Brooklyn. They they can't be without Irving and Harden for long periods of time here, or or Durant. I mean, you can mix up the two of the three any way you want. One of them ain't getting the job done because there's no no help. There's no other help. And you know what? Two of them probably aren't getting the job done, and and that's the thing. Um, that's the big caveat here is that even if Irving was healthy, I think the Bucks probably could have won this game. You know, and now we move forward to a situation where the Bucks they have won their last four home playoff games. They have a lot of momentum. Giannis is kind of taking this as a one-on-one opportunity. Okay, me against Durant. And now it's going back to Brooklyn. Brooklyn is not exactly the most dangerous place to play, right? They don't have the most rabid fan base and people going crazy. So it's not that crazy home court advantage where you have to be scared if you're Milwaukee. You have to be terrified if you're Milwaukee. Sitting, I mean, I'm sorry, if you're the Nets going to Milwaukee, sitting there in that crowd and that excitement and what you had even outside and everything, I think Milwaukee has a clear home court advantage. I don't know if Brooklyn necessarily does. And now Brooklyn has pressure on them, and now you know they have their backs against the wall. This is a tough situation to be in if you are Brooklyn right now. You can lean on the excuses of, well, people are banged up and people are injured and and. You can lean on the idea, because it's a real excuse, you can lean on the idea that they are banged up and they are injured. But guess what? They're going to have to come back. And even if they come back, do you have 100% faith in them coming back and being you know, that team? Do you have them coming back and being those players? And, again, it's just more games, Tim, that they played not together. So I'm looking at this series and I'm saying to myself, here we go. We turn around, we look at the series, and, yeah, there's three games left, right? I mean, I'm looking at Milwaukee, and I'm back to leaning Milwaukee. Not fully, but I'm back to the leaning Milwaukee aspect. And I'm looking for a a line, and obviously with the Irving injury, a lot of places haven't posted. The only one I've seen, Tom, I see DraftKings posted a, a Milwaukee minus three in game five on the road. Yeah, and that's a, that's a telling sign, right? That it's flip-flopped all the way to Milwaukee back then because they don't believe in Irving. And how can you not take Milwaukee right now after what you witnessed? I'm not going to. I'm going to lay off of this game. Uh, I think going home, Durant could be that good, but it is leaning towards Milwaukee right now. You know the best that I have going on. I basically bet against Brooklyn uh, as soon as I could. I, at the beginning of the, of the playoffs, I took basically – Everybody brought Brooklyn, but I got money on Philly to go to the Eastern Conference Championship and win it, and I have Milwaukee to go and represent the East for the championship because I was betting against Brooklyn. So this only helps me, and this only makes me feel better. Now, Tom, by the time we talk next week, this series could be over, right? And if that's the case, obviously a huge failure if the Nets lose this series but is it a situation where you had just said you run it back next year with Denver? Do you run it back next year with the Nets, or is there more internal issues that need to be dealt with here? I think you have to run it back with the Nets. Uh, you know, they never ran it with the Nets. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know I mean, yep. they never ran it with the Nets because uh, this Nets team never got an opportunity to play together. And by the way, yeah, we will absolutely know uh, a winner because Game 7 is set for Saturday night. So... Game seven in the Nets Bucks game, we will absolutely have a winner when we talk next Saturday. You, you know, you can't if if this Nets thing doesn't go right, and you're the Nets, you got to just say, you know, what, we're bringing everybody back. We're going to run it back one more time because we we have not played together before the playoffs began. Tim, it was either eight or nine. And I, I should do the research because I keep saying either eight or nine. 
I think it was nine games they played together all year, the big three. Nine, all year long. So I, I'm not getting worried if I'm Brooklyn, um, if this doesn't go right. But I'm telling you, you're going to see the ripple effects. People are going to freak out if they don't win the championship because of the sheer level of dominance that they should be doing, and they're just not. But it's the built-in excuses. So expect those excuses to come hot and heavy. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton, Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas. Let's take a timeout, and we'll be back with some Major League Baseball as we take you around division by division in both the American and National Leagues and get you caught up to date as we have reached uh, the 65-game mark in Major League Baseball. Break that down for you as we move into a Sunday or Monday morning here in Las Vegas, Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Now back to Heatwave Sports. Bro. Time to talk some baseball here on Heatwave Sports. Tim and Tom, Demond with you up until the midnight hours and move into another week here in the month of June. Tommy, I want to talk a little bit about, before we jump into the divisions, a little bit about your, your podcast called Wagering Week over on all, wherever you can get a podcast, it's, it's located there. And Tom, I have to tell you, you know, last night you, you gave me this sneak preview. I get it automatically downloaded into my podcast folder. I popped it on on the way home, only to just literally drive off the side of the road with some of the things that your guest Chuck T was saying about my guy and your guy, Mike Trout. Care to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, listen, I, I can give you Chuck's argument, and the reason I brought him on is because he wrote an article here. Uh, I got phone calls from people going, wow, you know what? Never looked at it like that. And I, I, I said, okay, I got to break this down. And basically, I mean, Chuck's a fantasy guy. He's, a, he's our, our fantasy expert, right? Our Roto Mill fantasy expert um, for SGN. And his basic take was that Mike Trout is, is potentially no longer a first round draft pick in fantasy. He's definitely not the number one guy. He might not be a top five. He actually definitively said he's not a top five. Um, and I pushed him and basically said, you know, is he a first rounder? I kind of got the answer of maybe not. And the, the main reason was, look, he's, he's missed 30% of his games the last couple of years, right? The last three years, he's missed 30% of his games. He just can't stay healthy. And it's lower leg injuries, it's problems, which leads to him not stealing anymore. Um, to Chuck's credit, he did say, look, you know, I still think Mike Trout will be a, a tremendous hitter, but in the fantasy realm, you can't count on him anymore. And I, I think, uh, you know, I don't agree with, with him. I like safety. I'm a guy that give me safety in a fantasy first round. We're talking about fantasy baseball. I'll take Mike Trout in the first round all the time because I know what I'm going to get from him. And I think I can get a league replacement player to fill in the time that he misses. But it is concerning that Mike Trout is missing so much time. And even this injury... He was supposed to come back, you know, six to eight weeks. Now they're saying, okay, we're going to take it slow. Now he'll be back after the All-Star break. And When you see a Mike Trout six to eight weeks, don't you almost expect it to be six, right? And now they're going, yeah, it's basically going to lean on the eight-week side. Chuck's got some valid points, but none of them that I'm necessarily agreeing with. I was going to say, Tom, if, if that's the case, are, are, you, are you trading me Mike Trout in our league tomorrow? You know, <laughs> well, that's the thing. Look, and I said it to him. Yeah, you know, I gave him the pushback. I know everybody likes Tatis, and you like Vlad, and you like Acuna, right? Um, uh, you got the guys at the top, and there are a number of guys that could go number one overall. And you heard me make the argument that Shohei Otani might be number one overall, and because he's got the dual position. Next year, if I got the number one pick in the draft, Tim, I'm taking Mike Trout because I like the stability. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I did listen to him, and when you group it together and you say it's 30%, you're, you're including last year, right, that, which he only played in 50 games. He's missed uh, 30 games this year, but, you know, and, and in 2019 he missed uh, almost 30 games, right? So I get it. I get where he's coming at, but we're talking about 300, right? We're talking about 35 to 40 dongs. We're talking about 90 to 100 RBIs. That, that's what you're talking about in that that's first-round numbers. 
I don't want to lose a fantasy draft in the first round. And you guys, by the way, you can check this out. The podcast is Wagering Week. You can listen to that interview. And I also do, do I have to say that when we did our season preview, Chuck said he wasn't taking Mike Trout number one. And there was an argument for Tatis, Acuna, Soto, Betts. Now there's Otani in there. Um, you got you got to throw Degrom in there now. If a guy loves pitching, you have competitors for that number one spot. I will concede that, but I like the stability of Mike Trout, and I also believe that Mike Trout is a guy that can save the Angels' season. Well, I thought that before what the Angels have begun to do, and the Angels are absolutely crushing it now. All of a sudden, Tim, all yeah. of a sudden you look up. And you look at the standings and you say, okay, well, where are the Angels? Hold on a second. They're one game over 500. Hold on a second. They're only six games out of first place. They're only four games out of second place. Suddenly, the Angels have all of a sudden hit their stride. And you know they're making a midseason acquisition. That would be Mike Trout. They might be making two midseason acquisitions if they go grab Joe Adele. But neither one of these midseason acquisitions, Tim, He's one of these guys pitch. Right. right. And then that's that's what they're going to have to do if they can remain in the sun. And they've won six in a row, ten, uh, eight of ten. And they put themselves right back in a playoff discussion. When you look at the West, it's been that, that, you know, this is a division where we've always said, how is Oakland consistently at the top of this division? And, and we were looking at, well, as much as we hate Houston, they're, they're going to be around, right, Tom? And, and they are. They're two games behind Oakland. Seattle and Texas, we kind of just left for dead because they're in rebuilds. And the Angels were that that juggernaut. It was like it could go either way, right? I think we both have the Angels' playoff fringe rather than not in the playoffs. And now they've had just an up-and-down season. And to me, it was almost like the trout injury. That was it, right? Throw, throw, throw it in already. The season's over, but... Like you just said, now all of a sudden they're playing better. Adele still needs to come up. Trout's coming back. They can go out and get an arm. All of a sudden, that six-game deficit, they only need to cut it in half to make the playoffs. Right, Tom? Tim, let's, let's talk some trades here, okay? Because you guys need an arm, and there's some available out there that were, will be available. We know that John Gray is 100% available. Is he a guy that makes you excited? Not so much, you know, coming up, I, I liked him a lot, but and I don't know if it's Colorado that's the problem, but he's had a good year this year, Tommy, and this is, I was happy for him. I just don't know if he's a difference maker, let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, Jermaine Marquez, very potentially, will be on the market. No, doesn't move the needle for me either. Now, Marquez's ERA away from Coors is actually very, very good. I actually like Marquez, but again, he's not a number one, right? Then the big name is Max Scherzer. The question is, what would you be willing to give up for a Max Scherzer, and is he the rental that you need? Uh, would you give up a Joe Adele for a Max Scherzer? What's that? Remember, you're just renting him. Yeah, and you have to worry about his back, right? It's a lot of problems with, with Scherzer. What, what is Washington going to expect from him? Can't put Adele on the table for him. That's, that's not a go for me, so I don't know what's left. Okay, and then finally, the team that I think should be making moves, team that I think you'd have to come up with a real good package, Tim, a real good package. But let me just tell you the names that could be thrown about. Trevor Rogers, Pablo Lopez, okay? Um, you look at the ridiculous amount, Sandy Alcantara, the ridiculous amount of arms in the Marlin system. And the Marlins are a team with arms behind them, Braxton Garrett, Sixto Sanchez. They have arms and arms and more arms, and they got good starting pitching. But what they do, what they're missing, they're missing some bats. Even in the minor leagues, you know, they got Lewin Diaz who might come up. He'll be a league average first baseman. They don't really have Jazz Chisholm came up this year. They don't have that guy. Would you make one of those moves? Are the Angels that aggressive to go out there and say, okay, a Pablo Lopez or a Trevor Rogers or a uh, or Alcantara for a package that would include Joe Adele? 
I don't. I don't think so, Tom. I don't think so. Um, maybe you can get two of them. That that would work, but I, that Miami's not doing that. So I think Miami I don't, I don't know. I, more it's, than it's a tough question because I'm assuming Adele's set for uh, stardom in, in Anaheim. I think that's the way the front office is looking at it. So you'd have to come up with another trade piece, and I, I just don't know who you could offer at that point. So that leaves us back to the situation where <laughs> you know. The Angels are close. You can get excited because, yeah, Joe Adele will be up, and Mike Trout is coming back. You're game over 500, crushing the ball. Playoffs, you can see him. You can see the playoffs, Tim. You can smell the playoffs. Mike Trout's coming back. Maybe he's the guy to put you over the edge. Maybe Adele's the guy to put you over the edge. But at the end of the day, you still are looking and searching for that starting pitcher that is just not available. Would it be a situation... If you're looking at maybe guys that are um, free agents to be next year, right, Tom, and teams that will start burning, hopefully burning whatever is left, that they can try to grab anything they can for them. So it wouldn't be a number one per se, but maybe they just go out and make some some, uh, smaller trades and pick up a three or a four just to put in the rotation and hope that's enough to get you – not only into the playoffs, but maybe sustain and let the offense take over or have a pitcher get hot in the postseason like Bundy and, and just kind of ride it. I mean, I don't. I hate to look at it that way, but if it's a matter of we've got to trade Adele to get a one and, and rent them, I, I just, you know, Zach Greinke burned them years ago in that same situation, so I don't know if Moreno goes back to that. Yeah, that's unfortunately where the ceiling is for the Angels for me is that they, they, we know what they need. They have to get a number one guy. That is few and far between. And the, the price tag for Scherzer, I think, is going to be astronomical, as it should be. Um, but he's the guy. He's the only guy out there right now. Because you know what it is, Tim? When you really look at, at the standings here, and this is just more of the conversation about let's talk some trades here. If you look at the standings, you know, teams that are going to be selling, the Orioles are a seller. They don't have any pitching. The Twins are a seller. But are they really going to blow it all up because they've been good for years? And they're not trading a guy like Berrios, okay? So do you want a Michael Pineda? Do you want a, a guy like that or a Kende Maeda? Tigers aren't trading any of their pitching, neither are the Royals. So you look at the bottom of the barrel. Rangers, no, nope, they're not trading their pitching. Probably the Mariners aren't. Let's go to the National League. Well, I brought up Colorado. Arizona's not trading Zach Gallon. Pirates have nobody. And then you have maybe the Nationals and the Marlins. The problem is, is that because of the nature of expanding the playoffs and everything, too many teams believe they have a shot right now. A team right. like the Cincinnati Reds that we expected to be sellers, well, they're actually only five games out of first place. A team uh, like the Cubs, we thought we were going to blow it up. They're actually in first place. A team like San Francisco, a lot of people thought they were going to blow it up. They're in first place, Tim, right? A team like the Indians, they're in second place. We thought maybe they'd blow it up. There's not a lot of arms available because so many teams are saying, you know what, we're kind of still in this thing. You mentioned Jacob DeGrom uh, a few minutes back, and we brought up the topic of putting him in the MVP discussion. And when you look at statistically what he's doing right now, unbelievable, right? Six and two, an earn run average of 0.56, 103 Ks in 64 innings. He's a... Uh, Won the Cy Young two of the last three years, Tom, and he's just—he's—he's he's money right now. Can you put him in that discussion, though? Did you know we never see a pitcher win the MVP? I hate pitchers to win the MVP. I can't stand it. It's—it's—it's it's one of those things that burned me when I was a kid, and I've never been able to get it over it. 1986, Roger Clemens won the MVP over Don Mattingly, and, and Mattingly was deserving way more than Clemens that year because pitchers should not win the MVP. Starting pitchers should not win the MVP. I can't say this enough. But him, if a starting pitcher was ever deserving to win the MVP, <laughs> it would be Jacob deGrom. Where he sits right now, Jacob deGrom is having the greatest season in the history of baseball since Bob Gibson. That, just think about that. He's also got more RBIs than runs allowed. Now, I will still argue that he only pitches every fifth day. And I will still sit back and argue 
he's not even like the old guys that are going eight, nine innings in complete games. So he still needs people to come in even on his days and help him out. And I will still sit here and argue about a starting pitcher that we're only one-third of the way into the season. Look, if, if Jacob deGrom ends the year, Tim, with an 062 ERA, he's the MVP. I just don't see that sustainable. I don't see that he's going to keep this up. A lot of people are looking at him as kind of already wrapped this up and, and uh, he, he should be in it. It's different for a starting pitcher than it is for a player. A, ba- a player could have a bad week, a bad two weeks. A player could have a bad month and still win the MVP. If Jacob DeGrom has three bad starts, two bad starts, he could just be knocked out of the MVP race right away. I believe it's most valuable player, and it's not the best player. It is most valuable to your team. He only pitches every five days. You know, even though he's out there, he's only accounting for eight, ten wins so far in the year. Overall, he's only really going to account, he's only going to be involved in, let's say, 25, let's say even 30 wins. Let's say he makes 33 starts, right? And the team wins 30 or 33, which isn't happening. But let's say they, they win 30 or 30. Still only 30 games out of 162. That's why I don't like the most valuable player to go to a pitcher ever, a starting pitcher ever, because valuable to a team means something entirely different than a guy that is only out there, you know, one-fifth of the team's play. Well, the Mets, Tommy, 20, uh, 32 and 25, three games up on the Phils right now in the National League East. How about the Mets? They've only scored 219. They're not scoring runs, but obviously they're not giving up a lot, and that's, that's keeping them uh, atop this division. But we're only at the 60, if they played 67 games, so a little bit under 100 still left. It's a long season to go, and uh, the way guys are getting clipped this, this season, Tom, who knows what's going to happen there. But if you're a Mets fan, got to be somewhat happy right now. Well, you have to be because of the, the makeup of the team. Their whole team is on the disabled list, right? I mean, Davis hasn't taken uh, more than a, a few at-bats this year. Conforto's been down and banged up. Look around the, their team, and you look all up and down, and you go, McNeil, they're just injured, banged up. Things aren't going their way uh, offensively, right? I mean, they are just trying, struggling to get out of their own way because of all the injuries, yet they're still in first. Now, you know, you, there's plenty of optimism to be a Mets fan. But I'm going to sit back and tell you on the other side of that, I still look at this team and I go, I don't expect DeGrom to keep this up. And you can't expect DeGrom to kind of keep this up. Um, I worry about Lindor and what he's become. I worry about Alonzo. And Alonzo's turning into that, okay, you know what, instead of being a 45 home run and 270 guy, he's turning into a 30 home run, 250 guy. It's a massive difference there. So I have my concerns about the Mets, but you have to be optimistic where they are right now. Uh, but no championships are win- won in mid-June. Right. In the Central, just in the last 10 days, Tom, we've seen the Cardinals lose 9 of 10 games. The Brewers win 9 of 10 games. The Cubbies have won 6 of 10. So just in that 10-game stretch, the Cardinals have dropped uh, 8 games difference to the Brewers. They've dropped five games difference to the Cubs, so the Cubbies and the Brewers now tied first, and St. Louis are sitting sixth out, even behind Cincinnati right now. What's wrong in St. Louis? Jack Flaherty went down, and they just need some starting pitching. Uh, they, they, they need innings, they need pitching, and their ace went down. I'm not overly worried about this team. Um, we know that they know how to make the moves at, at, at the deadline when they need it. They have the equity to do it. And we know that Flaherty's going to come back, and he was dominating before he went down. You got guys like John Gant, you know, holding it down and hoping that Adam Wainwright can get something done. They need an, an arm. They need an ace. What the Cubs are doing, I have no uh, answers for. What the Brewers are doing, it, it, Brewers are the most dangerous team. And I, I said this a couple of weeks ago. Brewers are the most dangerous team in all of baseball because Woodruff and Burns are the, the – dynamic one-two that we've talked about, they may not have their name recognition of like a Johnson and Schilling, but it reminds me of that kind of combo where you're just looking at them and they they are clearly, clearly the most dominant one-two punch in all of baseball right now. And that's in a league with Kershaw and Walker, 
right? That's in a league with uh, Giolito and Rondon. That's in a, in a league with some dynamic one-twos, and they are simply the best. That's the, like you said it earlier, could name three guys in the Brewers. You couldn't name the rotation in Milwaukee, and yet it's, it's holding up. That's the funny thing. Yeah, and, and they're back into the bullpen. Yes. Let's not forget that. Hader well, hasn't blown a save yet. 17 right. uh, saves on the season. He's a shutdown guy. So you know going into playing Milwaukee, if they can get anything hitting offensively. Look, I threw this out there last week, and I got a little bit of comments over at Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter. Um, that I think that Trevor Story to Milwaukee was going to be, I mean, that was the move. Now they went out, they made a different move, so Milwaukee, I guess, is out of this thing, but they need one more bat. Christian Yelich is not the guy right now. Now, can he find his stroke? Sure he can. But they still need that secondary bat. They're one of the teams that they don't need any pitching. They need to go out there and go get themselves a bat. And you start thinking about who would be available there. One of the names I'm going to throw out there, Tim, since they, they, they apparently don't need a shortstop anymore in Trevor Story, what about Charlie Blackman at the top mm-hmm. of that order? Now, that's something that I'd be looking at. Yep. And in the West, 65-game check, Tom. The Giants still in first place in the West, a game over the Dodgers, three over the Padres. I'm waiting for it to crumble, man. I'm still waiting for it to crumble here. In any other season, Kevin Gaussman is a Cy Young, right? Any other year that Jacob DeGrom doesn't exist, Kevin Gaussman in his, like, one-and-a-half ERA, <laughs> you know, would just be dominating. People don't look at this team the way that they should, and we're still getting value, and I'm still making money. Because Kevin Gaussman is a legit ace. He's got Fanny is a very fine number two. You look at the, uh, the back end of the bullpen, they got a guy that basically throws the ball underhand. Yeah, but he's, he's cracking down and has under a two ERA. Buster Posey's hitting three thirty. They are doing inexplicable things. Brandon Crawford, you're waiting for it to all fall apart because, Tim, logic says it has to. These guys that are pitching and playing and hitting and running and doing everything that we've seen them do their entire career shouldn't be doing it at this point and shouldn't be doing it at this level. You just expect regression back to the mean. Yeah. Buster Posey's your star, right, on the downside of his career. Solano. Belt, Crawford, Flores, Dickerson, Duger. That's not striking fear into anybody, but yet they're 15 games over 500. It's, uh, it just can't be sustainable. And you're right, the, the pitching is... Look, Johnny Cueto is back now, too, right, Tom? So Alex Wood, who... You know, you're, you're throwing names out there. It just, it just doesn't seem realistic, and yet they continue to do it. But there's still 100 games to go. There is 100 games to go, and I think the Giants have to be realistic with themselves as well and say, we can't survive with what we have. We've had a good first half or a good you know, first quarter of the season here, um, but we can't survive. I, I don't think the Giants even themselves think we can win a World Series with this lineup. Can they continue? I think Gaffman continues to dominate. I think Di Scalfani could hold it up. Cueto could hold it up. Uh, their bullpen is... They could use a little bit of back-end bullpen help, I think, but they cannot survive with this lineup. You can't expect Brandon Crawford to keep it up like this. You can't expect Buster Posey to be on pace for whatever, 25 home runs. They need another bat, and they need another bat desperately. They need that big-time bat in the middle. Um, Look, if I'm San Francisco, I'm going out there and throwing flyers at the wall before I'm trying to make that big move. Arizona's going to be trading. Colorado's going to be trading. Maybe they don't want to trade in the division, right? Your Baltimore team is a team that I'd be targeting. You have a lot of, a lot of guys there that seemingly play the same position, right? Um, Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, both play first base. You're eventually going to probably want a couple of days off there uh, for free up the DH spot for a guy like Adelaide Rushman who's coming up. Baltimore makes some sense to go out there and try to get a bat. The Detroit Tigers could make a little bit of sense to go out there and go shop for them. Kansas City, Jorge Soler is batting like 110, but we know that this guy has 40 home run potential. Chris Davis was just completely outright let go. These are names that I would take shots at, you know, until the trading deadline. Let's see if we can get a flyer, because they cannot go into the playoffs 
or into playoff season. They can't go into July with this lineup. I'm looking at the menu tomorrow, Tom. Tasty, tasty treat in Chicago, Tampa, and the White Sox will battle on a Monday. You have uh, what looks to be a fun series here as both teams, respectively, in first place. Almost identical records, actually, when you you look at Lance Lynn will tow the rubber tomorrow for Chicago and Glasnow for Tampa Bay. How about how about an early week tree here with this series? This is going to be great, absolutely great. And you know your instinct is to jump all over the the under here, um, but man, they they are really adjusted to these unders, right? The other night, uh, Blake Snell, Jacob Degrom was five and a half, and, and it went under. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it went under. Uh, they've adjusted to these unders. I think it's going to be a great pitching duel. I think both of the offenses are competent, but this great pitching duel, people don't pay attention to what Lance Lynn is doing. And I know we've already anointed Tyler Glass now like the next guy, but Lynn is just fantastic, and he's done it year after year. I, I lean the White Sox because of Lynn. And the White Sox, we both picked to win this division. We both picked them. Um possibly to do some damage in the playoffs, and they're, they're kind of stretching this lead out now, Tom Ryder. You know, with Minnesota just taking a bath so far this year, Cleveland is the next closest team to Chicago in division. They're five and a half games out, and look, barring just a major injury to the, or major injuries to the White Sox the rest of the way out, they're going to cruise to an easy divisional title win here and get ready for the postseason, but... Um, is this a team, and I know it's only June, but really the deadline's a month away, Tom. Is this a team that tinkers around with what they could add here, or do you think they just go with what they got, and that's a lot of youth and the key veterans that are there? No, I think that this is a team that doesn't make moves. You know, their pitching is pretty set. Uh, Dylan Cease has given you a lot. Giolito had a bad start. He's coming back now. I think their pitching is set. Their bullpen looks good. And you got to remember, look, they've got some injuries, right? Luis Robert was banged up. Eloy Jimenez was banged up. Uh, Nick Madrigal might be out for the year now. So they have some injuries. Maybe they have to make a move to fill in those gaps. But, you know, I don't think that they overly have to mess with too much. Don't shake up the apple cart. If you're in first place, you're pitching well, and you don't need a dying need in the middle of that team, I don't think the White Sox should do much. You want to avoid the teams that almost seem to get greedy at postseason time, right, Tom, or uh, deadline time, and it ends up costing them prospects and ends up costing them uh, at the end because they ultimately don't win, don't win the championship. Yeah, and I also I, feel I, that there is something to be said about team chemistry, Tim. You know, I, I, I do believe that, and you don't know. The last guy off the bench might be the guy that, uh, you know, brings it all together, and he's the team chemistry. You don't want to shake this up. Let's go to the East. Yeah, I remember, you know, Tim, I remember, I don't know if you remember those great Yankee teams. And great Yankee teams, you talk about Bernie Williams, Derek Jeter, you know, the big four, Rivera and Pettit. And, this, and they all, to a man, said Mariano Duncan was the guy that kind of kept that team together. Mariano Duncan, last guy on the bench, right? Uh, we play today, we win today. That guy was an integral part of the New York Yankees. Had they traded him, maybe they don't go on to be the dynasty that we once saw. And he's a guy that on the field... Maybe didn't do all that much, but clubhouse guy, you don't want to rattle this if you're doing so well like the White Sox are. Yeah. And we'll go to the East, Tom. Last night I brought up your Yankees in a series ending or weekend ending game against Philadelphia. You said you thought that they would come to play in this matchup with uh, the Phillies and Arenola. That did not happen, so swept by the Phillies this weekend. Now just one game over five hundred, eight and a half behind Tampa. And I texted you. You said just uh, they just don't show up to play. They don't show up to play. I, they don't want to play for Aaron Boone. Uh, the team is poorly put together. They were beaten by the guy they re- they decided to move on from him to go in a different direction. Remember that. This is personal for Girardi. They should have never got rid of him. And I didn't like Girardi. Okay, uh, when they hired Aaron Boone, I told you I didn't like the hiring. I didn't like this all analytics aspect. It was not something I was accustomed to. It was not something I was embracing. Aaron Boone has to go. But if you bring in Aaron, if you leave in Aaron Boone and goodbye Aaron Boone, don't bring in somebody else that has to hand in their lineup card before time, right? Don't bring in someone else that you have to turn around and you have to get approval from. 
If I'm the New York Yankees, you know who I'm hiring tomorrow, Tim? Buck Showalter. Yeah. They won't do it because there's too much control in that front office. But that's who I'm hiring. Like like we said, the hundred games to go, right, Tom? Where do you? If it would have been the old Steinbrenner, something would have been done already, correct? Well, it's not. I mean, and that's the glaring thing here, Tim. This front office almost doesn't care. You know, they're kind of looking at this, and you keep saying, "All right, they're going to have a plan, and they're going to have a plan." And when they got Cole, I said, "Okay, well, that's why they didn't go after guys." And um, I told you, I, I talked to, to plenty of people about the, the Harper. We were in Vegas. Uh, SGN and Sports Garden Network were there. And I talked to Yankee insiders and uh, guys that cover the team. Um, and they, you guys can go back and listen to the interviews at, at, at Wagering Week. We have all the interviews. And asking, why didn't they go after Machado? Why didn't they go after Harper? And um, There were different reasons for Machado. They didn't like his, his attitude. and They didn't like what kind of clubhouse presence he would be. But basically, they said, saving our money because we know we got to get a front-line pitcher. So you start to think, oh, maybe they have a plan. Oh, they went out and got Cole. Oh, here's the plan. Okay, now I see the plan. All right, here's the plan. And then the plan goes awry, and the plan goes, goes off-filter. I think that from the top down, the Yankees need an entire change. But here's the problem, Tim. You fire Aaron Boone, but he still has to answer to Cashman. Cashman put together a bad team. Cashman answers to an owner. The owner doesn't care. So unless you go get rid of the owner, <laughs> you know, not much is going to change there. I think it's a poorly constructed team. I think it's a worse managed team. Something has to change. Boone's probably going to get the act, but it really should be cash. And you look at the team in first place in Tampa. We've watched, Tommy, the rebuild since the mid part of the decade. And they go from 80 wins to 90 wins to 96 wins. They make the playoffs, go to round two, then last year. Last year in the uh, bubble season, right? They got all the way to the World Series, and yet here again, they're in first place. You lose Snell, you lose Morton, and you're doing it with the likes of Yarborough Hill to uh, back Tyler Glasnow. It's just, uh, you know, the, obviously, the offense is good. The pitching's been better than we thought it would be. What does Tampa do? Tampa's not usually a team that, that goes out and makes these grandulous trades to improve themselves for the stretch. Uh, their trade is Wander Javier coming up, right? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, oh, Wander Franco, I mean, Javier uh, coming up. That, that's their big move. They know Wander Franco is on the horizon. They know that he's their guy, their next guy, their, uh, their big ticket item, per se. He's going to be their move. I feel like Tampa always thinks, okay, we could get by. They also have a, a pitcher um, as well. That is just about ready. So they can always dip into that farm system because they develop so well. And I wanted to end out on the next scandal in Major League Baseball, Tommy. Talk about the, the substance that's going around here for pitchers and where is this leading? You know, I, I think talking to people around Major League Baseball, it, it's almost laughable to them that the public is finally going, oh, this is a scandal. And everybody that is involved with Major League Baseball is going, really? We, we, we all knew this, <laughs> right? You guys, you juiced the balls, which is obviously now it's been admitted that they did. They juiced the balls. Um, they wanted more power. They wanted more home runs. Well, the pitchers were going to adjust. And if the pitchers are adjusting and your pitcher is doing it, it you know, there's a report that says 80% of the pitchers are doing it. I don't care if spin rates go down. I don't care about that. Look, this is something that um, you want to prevent, but it's not something that is this big, controversial, oh, no. To me, this is uh, less than the cheating and the sign-stealing scandal. But can baseball keep handling these kind of scandals, Right. It's constantly a tainted game and tainted this and, oh, boy, that. Baseball's got to keep this stuff in-house, man. In the NFL, you constantly see teams getting fined for scandalous stuff, but it doesn't make headlines. Everyone points to Bill Belichick. Oh, you know, he was, he was fined and caught for taping practices and using recording devices. You know three other teams that year were fined 
for recording practices and recording devices. Three other teams that year. The next year, two other teams. Five teams in two years outside of the Patriots. But it wasn't this big, uh-oh, taping practice scandals, right? You, you hear about the deflated ball. Oh, Tom Brady deflated a ball. Aaron Rodgers admits that he likes the ball overinflated uh, to an illegal degree. It didn't become the overflated ball scandal. The NFL knows how to kind of keep things in-house. Major League Baseball doesn't. This is blown way out of proportion. This is a proportion of, oh, my goodness, let's start a problem. But it does hurt baseball, and I think the perception that guys are cheating is bigger than the reality of what exactly is going on. They'll police it a little bit more. They'll calm these guys down. It'll be taken care of. It should not have gone public in this form. Yeah, the scandal started, Tom, because batting averages are down and runs are scored are down, right? So pitchers have to be cheating. That's that's the, the stance that I read from that. Well, of course, you know. There's no way that people can't hit, uh, you know, 500-foot home runs and bat 300. Yeah, it has nothing to do with, like, launch angle, the fact that guys that hit home runs make more money. Yeah, nothing to do with that. All right. Well, Tommy, a, uh, another successful show here on, on this weekend edition of Heatwave Sports. Talk about the website as we have NHL and NBA and Major League Baseball action tomorrow. And what's on tap this week on Wagering Week? Yeah, so listen, we got a lot of good stuff coming up. You guys go check it out. It's the podcast is Wagering Week. It's Juan Bet Show at Sports Garden. Have any questions, hit us up at Sports Garden, G-A-R-P-E-N, hashtag S-G-N. Uh, and also on that on that podcast, we also have a good interview with David Danzis, who telling me that New Jersey might allow sports betting on collegiate teams, which uh, I, I think that it's going to change some things across the American landscape. And then go check out TomBartonSports.com, guys. TomBartonSports.com, absolutely on fire right now at TomBartonSports.com. You're going to get every NHL play I give out, every NBA play I give out, every Major League Baseball play I give out for the next 30 days for less than $100. If you sign up, I'm going to give you an added week onto your membership. It's TomBartonSports.com. Just make sure that you tell me that you heard me here. It's TomBartonSports.com. 70%, Tommy, in the NHL this season. Absolutely dominating the NHL. That being said, enjoy your week, and uh, we will touch base again Saturday night, Tom. All right. Have a good one, guys. All right. Tom. Tom Barton, TomBartonSports.com, my wonderful co-host. And you said you heard it. If you mention eWave Sports at time of sign-up, we'll give you five weeks for under $100. Until next weekend, for DeMond Cotton, for Tommy Barton, Tim Mungles will be here. Enjoy your sports week. We'll talk to you then. eWave Sports only on Fox Sports Radio.